Oh, well, it's lovely to be here this evening to speak to you guys. And tonight we're starting a new series over Lent. It's a disciple on discipleship. And tonight we're starting by looking at an incident at Caesarea Philippi. I'll be reading the account from Mark 8. And this is where Peter makes his confession that Jesus is the Christ, where Jesus begins the final part of his ministry towards the cross. And Jesus gives his most powerful words on the cost of discipleship. And tonight we're going to focus on those words to take up your cross and follow me and to think about what that means. Now before I read the passage, I want to set the scene for you. Caesarea Philippi, where this happens, spiritually, it's the center of the known world at that time, the spiritual capital of the known world, where people would go for idolatrous worship, to worship false gods and pagan idols. Back in the Old Testament times, it was a place of Baal worship and the incident of the golden calf up on the hill. So it has a history of pagan worship long established there. And at the time when Jesus visits, it's center of Pan worship. It's a place where they worship the fertility god Pan. And so this is a place where people would go. Thank you. This is a place where people would go to um, for divinations, for spells, for fertility rites, for all types of ungodly behaviour. Now there was a large cave there known as the gates of hell and a stream that came out of that cave where the altar was and that was seen as the gateway into the underworld. So as you can imagine it must have been a very uncomfortable place for Jesus to go with his disciples. I'm sure it would have been a very questionable place for any holy man to be there. They must have thought what are we doing here? Are we even allowed to be here? So that's spiritually. Now geographically it was a high point and it was probably the largest rock face, is the largest rock face in Jerusalem. If you go on YouTube, there's some really interesting um, tourist videos around Caesarea Philippi and you can see all this for yourself. Now it's the furthest point that Jesus went from Jerusalem, the furthest point north that he ever went. So spiritually and geographically, these people are the furthest point from the cross. So let's bear all of this in mind as we look at the reading because everything in this scene is a flag. The physical, mirroring the spiritual. And there's no unnecessary details in scripture and it's worth remembering that every single time a person's name, a place name, a time, a season, a date, a month, every time something's mentioned in scripture it's strategically put there by the Holy Spirit because there's something for us to discover there which is why the Bible is such an interesting realm to investigate. So it's in front of this huge rock elevation that Jesus says the words I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's in the backdrop with these caves full of little fires and shrines to idols people engaging in sacrifice of ritual that Jesus says well, who do you say I am? There's this cave to Pan known as the gates of hell. But we have a cave that doesn't lead to death. We had a cave on Easter Sunday morning that leads to life. 
And there where this cave has the stream that runs out of it, the living water himself is standing there ready to speak. So Mark 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do you say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asks, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Let's pause there for a moment and think about that part of the conversation. Jesus asks the two important questions. Who do men say I am? Who does this lot here with their pagan idols and all the people around, who do these people say I am? Oh, well, prophet, Elijah, John the Baptist. It's pretty much the same today, isn't it? There's lots of opinions out there if you say to people, who do you think Jesus is? He's a teacher, he's a guru, he's um, an activist, a prophet, he's a revolutionary who was put to death, historical character. Some may even think that he's a mythological character. They know the name, but little more. But then the bigger important question, a very personal question from the Lord to his disciple. Face to face, who do you say I am? And Peter responds, you're the Christ. And it's a really powerful moment. It's a really great moment. And Matthew tells us of Jesus' reaction. Matthew 16, verse 17 of um, chapter 13. He says, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See, the deity of Christ is revealed only from the Holy Spirit, from God. And Peter here is operating in the spiritual. And it's all going well for this disciple. Jesus says, you're blessed, Peter. And you are going to be the guardian of that great truth now for the moment. What a privilege. What an honour. But hold on, because it all starts to go downhill pretty fast. Let's carry on reading from verse 31. He then began to teach them about how the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciple, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to go in the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my word in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. So Jesus 
has said, yes, I'm the Christ and you're my disciple. That's great. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to advance my kingdom. Nothing, not even death and the gates of hell can stop me. And here's my battle plan. And he begins to talk about him and how he must suffer many things and be killed and the divine divine necessity of his sacrifice. His way is the way of the cross. And Peter reacts, no, Lord, we will never let this happen to you. And that's the reaction from the flesh. And Jesus replies, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. And Jesus rebukes this temptation. He recognises it as from the devil. He's heard that voice before in the wilderness to tempt him off target, to avoid suffering in his messianic mission. The voice of comfortable compromise to take the path of least resistance. And so there's this big reaction to Peter's comment. And not only the voice of the enemy there, but just the fact that Peter has clearly missed the point. Jesus has strategically positioned himself in this place, Caesarea Philippi, in the enemy's territory, to storm the gates and stand there declaring, I'm not hiding, I'm not fearful, I'm not on retreat, I'm not in the defensive position. I'm advancing my kingdom and the gates of hell will not hold me back. Christ is not on the defensive. He is not on the back foot. It's the enemy who's behind the gates, who's hiding, who's fearful of the advance of the kingdom of God. And contrary to how it can often feel in the church, the disciples of Christ are not called into a defensive position Often it can feel like the church is trying to protect itself, a church in hiding. Just keep your head down, don't draw attention to your faith, don't offend anyone with what you believe. And we're more concerned about causing offence than we should be fearful of people being lost. The call of discipleship is about advancing with the Lord. It's not always going to be safe, but it is going to be victorious. We're not in hiding. We're not fearful. We're not in retreat. We are not on the defensive. We are advancing the Lord's kingdom and the gates of hell will not hold us back. Jesus doesn't require Peter or any other disciple to protect him. He's not looking for shelter or bodyguards. He's looking for soldiers to advance with him in his kingdom ministry. Understandably, Peter's agenda is to protect Jesus from love. Jesus' agenda is the way of the cross. It's not safe, but it's driven driven by an even greater love. And so Jesus sets out before them, if you want to follow me, you must give up your own agenda and plans and join me on my mission. I'm going the way of the cross. My agenda is the cross. And taking up our cross is about advancing the kingdom with Christ, with Christ at the head and moving on. Moving on, moving in, impacting, saving, advancing the truth to influence and affect culture and to bring in the kingdom in individuals' lives and in society. And in looking at this conversation right here that's just played out for us, with Peter and Jesus is just a perfect example of the pitfalls and challenges of discipleship. It's such an accurate picture of the highs and lows of following the Lord. As one moment you get something so right, 
and the next moment you get something so wrong. In a short time, we've seen Peter go from operating in the spirit, yes, Lord, you are the Christ, to operating in the flesh. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And this highlights the battle within the disciple, the constant battle between the two realms, the physical and the spiritual, the two realities, the choices that we're constantly faced with between what's fleshly and what's of eternal value. And the challenge of the walk of a disciple to constantly choose choose life. So we can really relate to the situation that Peter's in here. We all know that, that hope and joy. Yes, Jesus, you're the Messiah, the Saviour. And we love that feeling when our hearts are filling up inside us as we're worshipping and proclaiming his name. We love to worship and that's great. And like Peter, we can get that question right. But then almost immediately at the hint of any suffering or hardship, oh no, let's do all we can to avoid that bit. Let's just keep ourselves safe and take the default position of the easy path. You know, yes, we will get it wrong. But be encouraged. Jesus is full of mercy and grace. And Peter's slip here doesn't affect his relationship with Christ and it doesn't affect his standing and how he's included in the mission of, a, of being a disciple. He's still blessed. He's still been trusted with this amazing truth. He's still highly valued by Jesus to the point that in a few days' time, he's going to have the privilege to be one of the very few people that's ever lived to view the transfiguration. And that's what um, our very last verse was about. Some of you will not pass away before you see the glory and the power of the Lord. And he's referring there to some of the disciples that are in that conversation, Peter, one of them, being there at the transfiguration. And as we start this Lent focusing on discipleship, let's allow these words of Jesus to challenge us. Whoever desires to follow me, let him take up his cross and follow me. And Jesus lays out for us, there is a cost to discipleship. But if we can let go of that control and trust Jesus and dare to step outside of our comfort zones, there is everything to gain. To deny ourselves, to lose our lives for the gospel is to put aside our own ambition and agendas for those of Christ. To follow in his way is to go the way of the cross, the way of sacrifice and love and mercy. It's to put the interests of the kingdom and those things of kingdom value first and foremost in our lives. Through the ages, many have paid a terrible and ultimate price for following Christ. Many of these first disciples there at that moment in Caesarea Philippi will be put to death. Several of them will be crucified. And in these days today, we hear of terrible and disturbing persecution of the church. People paying a terrible price to follow Christ. But you know, for those of us in the comfortable West... To take up our cross 
really just means to put down the values of the West and pick up the values of the kingdom, to renounce the self-centered, ambitious life and our own agendas. But whatever we lay down for Christ, there will be great reward in eternal life and the fullest experience of life here and now, life to the full. So in this Lent season, we think about clearing away every distraction in our lives that sets itself against the Gospels and is at loggerheads with the values of the kingdom. And we eliminate all that distracts from our walk with him to find something of so much more worth. So we're going to spend a few moments now and just let the Holy Spirit minister to us And we turn our thoughts now inwardly to our own journey and to how the Holy Spirit is speaking to us tonight. We've thought about how this conversation went with Peter. How would that conversation go with you? The Lord asks you that question tonight. Who do you say I am? As you listen tonight, do you know Jesus or are you thinking, who do I think Jesus is? Am I even a disciple? Can you say tonight, yes, Jesus, you are the Christ. Here at All Saints Woodford Wales, we say, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the promised Messiah. We believe this because history proves it. In over 350 Old Testament prophecies written well before the birth of Jesus and fulfilled by him and him alone. We believe the scriptures containing all of these prophecies and more, a history written before it had even happened. We also believe and say that Jesus is the Christ because of our own experiences, miracles, answered prayer, personal encounters and our testimonies. And we have a shared experience of faith in this community at All Saints Woodford Wells. We have shared testimonies and stories and journeys that we've been on together. Maybe for you listening tonight, you're not sure you need more information. And can I challenge you to investigate for yourself? And we'd love to give you some pointers here to how you can investigate. We've been created with inquiring minds. You just have to look at the amount of criminal investigation stuff on the television to know that we've been created to investigate and to seek out truth. So I encourage you to do that. I mean, I'm all sold out for the kingdom, but I'm still constantly researching and listening to things and investigating. I love to get into all the the facts and figures and everything. Even the, the prophecies of Christ alone, there's, there's a really interesting guy on YouTube who was, um, he's a nuclear physicist or something and he used to work at NASA and he preaches on YouTube and he gives out the, he works out the statistics, he's got one of these amazing mathematical minds and he likes to work out the probability of Jesus fulfilling one of those prophecies, the, pro, the probability of him filling 10 of those prophecies and you're already getting onto the impossible realm there and naught to the power of whatever and then he goes on to working it out if Jesus were to fill every one of the Old Testament prophecies and he says you have to imagine a bucket bigger than the universe 
and it's full of mustard seeds and you've got to pick out the one mustard seed that's painted red, you know, that sort of probability. If you've got that sort of inquiring mind, go and, go and in, investigate and find the truth. However you like to investigate, there will be a way that suits your, suits your personality type and find for yourself that Jesus is the Messiah. Maybe for you, it's not the information that's holding you back. Maybe you're completely sure that Jesus is who he said he is. And you'd love to know Jesus. You'd love to be a disciple. You'd love to be one of those people that has a close personal relationship with him. But you just feel, why would Jesus be interested in me? You feel unworthy. You feel excluded. That Jesus couldn't possibly be interested in me, could he? Why would Jesus choose me? I want you to remember that Jesus positioned himself strategically at Caesarea Philippi with these people who were the furthest from the cross spiritually and geographically to show us that there is nowhere that Jesus can't go, there is no one he can't reach and there is no darkness that he can't overcome. Isaiah 43 verse 1 says... Jesus preempted you having those thoughts. He preempted this dilemma in you thousands of years before you were even born. And he says to you tonight, Do not be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Jesus chose you before you were born. So choose him back tonight and start your journey with him as a disciple. To put aside your own ambitions and genders and agendas and your for your life and receive his and go through the cross to be the person that God created you to be, to find the purpose that he has for you. There are others of you listening tonight, and you know you are his disciples, and you've been following him for a long time. And just hear the call of the Holy Spirit tonight to reaffirm your first love, to come closer, to go deeper into the things of the kingdom and with the things of the spirit. So let's all commit to making this Lent a season of learning, growing, inhabiting the things of the Holy Spirit and making sure we're putting the things of the kingdom first and growing as disciples and showing others the way. I also think there's somebody listening tonight who previously you've had a close relationship with the Lord. And as you've been listening tonight, there's just been a waft of something familiar go past you, like a familiar fragrance, like the fragrance of Jesus in the room. And you'd forgotten that fragrance. And it's almost like when a bloodhound picks up the scent again and you smelt that familiar fragrance And the Holy Spirit says, pick up the scent again. Come and follow me. Come, let us return unto the Lord. Let's still ourselves for a few moments. And then we'll pray. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, Be close to us now and fill the room where we are as we come to you in prayer. We welcome your presence. We welcome you into our homes now where we're gathered and praying. Thank you, Lord. 
And if you would like to, just say these words along with me, whether you're saying them for the first time as a new disciple tonight, as a new follower of Christ tonight, or whether you've been following the Lord for a long time and you just want to affirm your love and commitment to him. Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you love me enough to fulfill every prophecy to save me, as terrible and agonizing as it was. Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice to save me. I receive your total forgiveness and I welcome your unconditional love. Now as your disciple, Lord, I receive the full armour of God to stand with you and advance the kingdom with you. Teach me your ways. Increase my faith. Expand my understanding. Strengthen my spirit to stay in step with you. May I remain forever in your mercy, in your grace, in your kindness, in your holy name. Amen.